Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was, to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. Today, I, I wanted to go over basically what I think is kind of an obvious program, but we're the only ones doing it. And why I'm saying that, I hope that didn't sound too arrogant, because I don't mean for it to come off that way. And you'll understand by the end that this is simply putting one step in front of the other in an obvious way. I read a research article in one of the journals that I get online. And the name of it is Ketogenic Diets Potentially Reverse Type 2 Diabetes and Ameliorate Clinical Depression, a case study. This came out in April of this year. And so most of you who are listening know that, well, reversing type 2 diabetes isn't that much of a big deal anymore. Verta Health came out with their now, I think they're into their third year, but they produced the data of uh, the first two years showing that they had 53% of their starting population that they had helped reverse diabetes. Inherently, that means that 47% didn't get reversed. And that's always the question I'm pursuing. Why is it that if this is such a great thing, why isn't it working for 50% of the people? And it's not just genetics. It's a lot of layers, and that's the point for this program. But the point of this title of this paper is that I started reading about it, and I go, hmm, this sounds a lot like what we're doing. And so I'll get to the I'll get to the um sort of the synopsis and it says a case study highlights a 65-year-old female who had been who had presented with 26-year history of dually diagnosed type 2 diabetes and major depression disorder. And you'll remember when we're talking to Dr. Uh, Christopher Palmer about this, how the association with type 2 diabetes and depression is a pretty high correlation. And um, and so that's that those two are almost to be assumed. If you're type 2 diabetic, if you wanted, most people don't report that, oh, I'm also depressed, by the way, and they don't get tested for that. They just come in about getting monitored for their blood sugar and so on and so forth. Even that side is a little superficial, but these are are kind of always been connected. All right, so we have that. So what they do in this program? This particular program, they did a ketogenic diet, 
We don't know how many carbs they have, so we'll just take their words for it. Ketogenic diet was clinically formulated for her based on her resting metabolic rate, her body fat percentage, and lean body mass. Okay, that's pretty much how we do it, and most people do it. Together with weekly nutrition education. It means they didn't give her anything. They just said, hey, this is how you have a more nutritious diet within the context of a ketogenic diet. Smart. Also, they did high-intensity interval training. So that's not just HIT, it's HIIT, matched to her cardiovascular conditioning. So they just put it within who she was and started providing her, you know, sessions and and did eight 45-minute solution-focused psychotherapy sessions. So that was basically all. So they had some exercise, they had education in terms of diet, and they calculated, you know, what her caloric intake should be and they put that in the context of a ketogenic diet. Okay, then. The 12-week individualized treatment intervention served to functionally reverse 26 years of type 2 diabetes, means get off all those meds. So that's four months. Ameliorate two and a half decades of chronic depressive disorders. And empower, equip the patient with new experience and hope and success. Okay, so how did it treat the depressive disorders? Well, one of the ways that we know, we now being you who have been listening to me for a while and through some of the interviews is that certainly an increase in GABA. GABA is the, they call it an inhibitory neurotransmitter. I don't see it as inhibitory. I see it as the take a beat, the reflective neurotransmitter. When you meditate, your GABA goes up. When you're sitting out in the woods overlooking after a hike up uh, the White Mountains in New Hampshire is what I'm picturing right now, and you're overlooking the valley below and all that reflection and catching your breath, that's when your GABA is going to go up. You sit back, you reflect, you just see all that beauty. Those moments are high GABA moments as opposed to dopamine or glutamine. Okay. And we've talked about those before. So we know those are increasing. So that's going to be in a ketogenic diet, those increase that directly affects the depression. And so we also know that obviously the ketones are generated and this person becomes a fat burner and they start to burn fat as opposed to glucose. And so the exercise bit, we've talked a number of times about that, that exercise is just so powerful and it it is getting its day in the sun in terms of understanding all that it automatically is a demand for glucose. So it sucks it out of the serum to feed the muscles that are being used. And the nice thing about that, it's a mechanism for bringing down elevated glucose without insulin. So your muscles, in essence, have these little packages of glycogen, like snack food that's stuffed inside the muscles, right? So when you go out walking or running or weight resistance or weight training, whatever, and certain muscles are going, I need my snack food. They're going to scarf down their share of the glycogen that is stored in those particular muscles, and they're they're going to deplete it. So it's a finite amount, and you can actually calculate this for as an average for all of us. Well, then your body has to fill up those little packages, that little snack food. It's like filling up the vending machine again with good food. So it fills up the vending machine with the glycogen, but it takes it takes that glucose right out of the serum, right out of the blood, 
and puts it into the glycogen has nothing to do with insulin. So that's pretty impressive. So exercise alone can be a great control to blood sugar levels on a regular basis. So if, if for no other reason, let's say it's not for body image or it's not for losing weight, it's just for blood sugar control, exercise will do that. It doesn't affect the pancreas and doesn't affect the liver. Okay, so that was the background. So that got got me thinking, saying, you know, that's kind of like our program. So for instance, uh, I'm working with a number of groups of people right now, different groups that have paid me. And my approach has been evolving over this past, oh, a little over a year. I think it was a year ago, I started coaching a small group for free. And then each one has become subsequently a little more sophisticated. So these groups that I'm, I do now is that they get four, if not five different tests done and they pay for it out of their pocket. And just for the cost of the tests alone is about uh, $1,400 of these different tests. One's basic, what I call a basic metabolic panel that I put together that they go out and they get from Quest. And after that, we do an intercellular level, which I'm looking for various nutrient deficiencies. After that, we look at their genome. And that means it's usually a 23andMe raw data uploaded to one of the many different programs that are out there. I'm just looking for a list of SNPs, right? Single nuclear polymorphisms. We've talked about this before. And I just scan for the ones that I think are most relevant. I don't go through their... It, it can be a very deep rabbit hole of all these different little SNPs they have. I'm just looking for three or four and actually really just one or two that I can look for and see if that gives them a predisposition to some of what I've seen on their blood work, okay? So now we have that. And then last one, we do a, a hormone panel from yet another company, uh, which is about a 20-hour urine test and measures uh, your androgens, your testosterone, your estrogen, your DHEA, your... Um, Cortisol, of course, you know, how in your, so you get to see all these and it's graphed out as well as just a table of what you're deficient with. And if you're deficient, where are you deficient? What time of day are you deficient? So it's very specific and uh, useful information. It's actionable. You don't get buried into a lot of extra details. Okay. So that's the background. And the last one we do, which is kind of an elective test is on heavy metals. So we so as we go through this program, the first two weeks, they all go out, they get their kits. Some of them, the kits have to be sent to them directly. They get their kits, they go to the, the labs that are near them, and they get all the, the lab work done. The results, the metabolic panel comes back certainly within a week or two, and then after that, everything else takes about four weeks. So we now start this spreadsheet that each person has, starting with the metabolic panel, all those quest tests, and the intercellular then we'll go into the genomes, that is pulling out the SNPs that are that I'm looking for, that I think are and I'll, that are relevant, that can be uh, disturbing somebody's blood work if they have these particular SNPs, or if they don't, uh, and then the hormones. And so what's interesting, so that's it. So as you're listening to me right now, you're saying, well, that's interesting. Here's this program. These are the level tests. Isn't that pretty interesting to, to get all that information on you? True. Correct. But what are you going to do with that information? You know, how is that going to change your life? A lot of people, especially with the age of the internet, they're all about getting information, but 
they're not about taking action on this information or even prioritizing the information to find out these are the top three things I'm going to act on. Um, and one could say, well, this is a lot of information. How, how are you going to find out what to act on? Well, after those two weeks are done, we basically then just focus on the ketogenic diet and make sure that they get this down. And that's really the, where the lion's share of the work is. That's where the course starts. So not the first two weeks of just, we call it prep time. It's now 90 days of working with uh, tracking your diet. We talk a lot about diet uh, for the next 90 days. We track it on chronometer, which anybody can do, by the way. I just get to peek in how everybody's doing it and comment on it. And I have them put in their glucose readings. And we're only now just getting to test ketones. And in some cases, I ask for blood pressures as well. So all that's really pretty interesting. So the other interesting thing is I line up these spreadsheets of each person in the group and I've asked ahead of time, can we share each other's data? So they're looking at each other's data and and I'm leading to a few points, by the way. And so in looking at each other's data, uh, and this one group I'm working with, they're very close in age and of the same gender. So that's neat. But what we find even within that group, the population goes from one per, and they all have the commonalities. They all have at least a hundred pounds to lose, at least a hundred pounds to lose. So now within this group, we have somebody who's never been, hasn't been on supplements for the last couple of years. I don't know about never. Uh, he's not on any, any medication and hasn't been on any medications for the last year. Then we go to the next person and we find well they're on some minor medications and they're taking some supplements. And then we go to the next person and we find, well, they actually had been taking a lot of supplements throughout the previous years, all the fancy ones of this antioxidant here and this energy booster there and so on and so forth that they, uh, this person stopped taking them before this course so they can quote, let it clear out. I think the clear out period is a good four weeks, but we didn't have that. So I'm saying he's heavy on the supplements and what they call smart drugs, by the way, stopped all that. And then we go to the fourth person who's um, who's somebody Alex paid for him to be in the in the group because they really cared a lot about him. And so when we see these different cases side by side, and this last person is on a number of seven different medications, it's what I call a, a medical lockup because you can't just start taking things off, not doing this, not doing this. Everything has to be decreased gradually. So what is this conclusion? Well, luckily, in this one particular group, one person is, in essence, the control. No meds, no supplements, just doing, in essence, the ketogenic diet, but did all the labs. So we get to see what their his labs were. So in starting, I guess you know the gender of that group, is that you get to see that the first person, the one without supplements and medications, didn't necessarily have the best, best labs. But now four weeks into it, and we haven't retested labs. Uh, he's been the most effective in dropping weight. So that's been his goal. So he's very satisfied. He feels great mentally now. Things are changing. Um, he wanted to start taking ketones, testing ketones a while ago. I said, don't waste your time on it right now. Let's just focus on glucose. Uh, he's doing fine with ketones. So it's kind of a very straightforward case of simply needed some coaching on the ketogenic diet, these labs, you can say, what was the value of these labs? Well, these labs presented to him, we have certain areas of great concern that you really ought to focus on and let's keep track of them and maybe retest in a couple months. Second one was intracellular. We'll see if these those two panels 
correlated, gave the sort of same conclusion, which they kind of did. They supplemented each other. And we're going to get into genome, and we have yet to get into uh, hormones. And that would be his complete his complete package. So you go, we haven't even got into talking about exercise yet, which will be HIT, because of how it affects the bloods, where I started this particular podcast, um, how it affects the blood, your blood glucose levels. And in essence, you're training your metabolism. We're going to run a little lower now. Since I have exercise on a regular basis, we're going to run a lower average blood glucose. So now what do we do is that it gave us some, there were certain concerns in the labs that we did have to supplement for short term. Supplements, by the way, big disclaimer, are not forever. They are just for a little bit. So when we see it, something's low in the blood that we can address by supplements, keeping it simple, that's what we do to bring them back up to being within good range. Okay. So that's the that's the process. To me, I think this should be everybody's plan for reversing, whether you want to say losing weight, reversing diabetes. The interesting thing is that I take the same program and now I'm working with people that are focused on autoimmune. And so I wanted to go over that a little bit. You know, the number one reason for people doing the ketogenic diet or considering doing the ketogenic diet is for weight loss. But the problem is there's not a lot of good coaching out there. They sort of think that, oh, I just have to drop my carbs and increase my fats. And actually that's probably more than most people know, and they'll get some results, but they won't sustain it. So I think there's a de- yeah, I think you really do need to be coached through this. And I always get a little bit aggravated when there's a comment in the Facebook group that, you know, somebody's struggling with something and somebody else said, oh, I just tried this and it all changed. Well, those are two entirely different people and different contexts. We don't know what their diet's like. And if they're in their 40s, 50s, or 60s, then they've bioaccumulated whatever they've been exposed to in their lives. And it's a very different context again. So it's hard just to sort of say, hey, I tried this, go do this. And that's been my issue with just sort of saying, hey, high fat, low carb is good for everybody. I think high fat, low carb absolutely should be out there as this new norm, clearly, because we've been lied to for the last 50 years. So that has to be changed out. But for the other 50, we really have to look at What's keeping them? And it's not just all discipline and it's not just lack of education. It's really getting behind and saying, you know, these medications, let's say talk about the people on the medications. You find out these medications have actually created nutritional deficiencies. Well, maybe you can start patching up some of the deficiencies caused by the medications and these parameters will more quickly come back to a normal range and therefore you get to go off the medications. What an idea, right? To me, that's an obvious idea. And that has been the approach to watch these people. I think that might be the approach for most naturopaths out there. It's hard to know. You know, the thing about naturopathic medicine is that everybody does it differently. So we all went to the same school, but after that, we kind of cut our own paths and it's overlapping and yet very different. And a lot of that depends on what state they're practicing in. Okay. So, you know, when we talk about the disorders we're dealing with now, yeah, so, so under autoimmune, we have, you know, neurological issues, MS, ALS, to think of a few. And we have uh, endocrine disorders such as thyroid, you know, Hashimoto's. We have gut uh, autoimmune disorders, which is Crohn's, ulcerated colitis. Graves, by the way, would be an endocrine one as well. 
We have genetic, which are called GLUT4 uh, disorders. You have musculoskeletal. So for that, you even have things like pretty extreme cerebral palsy. You can help that situation and other neurological ones. And then other autoimmunes would be the Sjogren's uh, sarcoidosis. So it's amazing that you can take the same approach that we started for what I call a bio-integrated weight loss program and simply hardly any tweaking it at all. Uh, the labs might be slightly different, but I've been giving out the same lab panels to the different people and finding out what I need to focus on or don't need to focus on. I've had a number of surprises in that panel. It's like, wow, you're actually really pretty good at uh, your insulin's fine and your glucose is fine or pretty close to fine. So that's not so much the issue. And let's look at some other things. So that level of biointegration, that we have the basic blood work that you would get from your doctor plus some special tests that I include. I believe they're special. We then do intracellular for nutritional deficiencies, hormones, genome, and last heavy metals. Then you can go further with environmental toxins, but it's such a big area that I just try to keep it simple. And uh, we talk about that because look, we've lived in a polluted world for the last 50 years, 60 years, 80 years. So you're going to bioaccumulate. And if some of those things have been the obstacle that's driving your uh, condition, your, your weight gain, your uh, autoimmune or whatever, then that has to be addressed. But we look at that last. So I just thought that I would, I would bring up in these different ways of doing things. And it's interesting to see these successes. So again, in looking at these different cases, and when I bring somebody new on, I just start another spreadsheet, slap it next to all the other ones without the names, of course. So they get to see a spread of how people react to this. And the reason I think that's a good thing, and I think that's an excellent education tool, is because often when you go to your doctor, often when you go to your doctor, you know, you get, he tells you what blood work to get. You come back and you get the interpretation you hope from him. And that's as far as it goes. And sometimes if you're abnormal and always been slightly abnormal in whatever panels, whether it's a lipid panel or, or something else or inflammation or something, you just accept that's your role in life. You know, you're one of those people. But when you see people like you that know they have different labs and you can be like them, their lab that is, by just changing a little bit of your lifestyle. That it, that's a big influence. So that's a big message to convey. And then also when somebody's normal in certain things, they go, oh, I guess everybody's normal. Well, not everybody is normal and that they're out of range and other things. You can explain how that might have come about and you see that in a larger context. So seeing a larger pool, I'm not talking hundreds, larger pool of numbers to compare to is really enlightening for the individual to say, huh, really? And so therefore, and it comes back to the motivation, of course, therefore, they're a little more focused, not just motivated anymore. They're motivated, of course, but they're focused on, they have something to change. They have some numbers, some labs to change. And I find those little goals, those little targets make it very specific for them. And if they didn't really have those, just the idea of, let's say, weight loss. Well, that's, that's a number, right? You, you measure on the scale or you can measure by your fat mass, however you want to measure it, simple or sophisticated. It's a number, but when you have that context, your context spread out a little bit and you see your inflammatory markers drop, you see your weight drop, of course, you see other 
blood parameters that were high or out of range come back in normal range, that really then makes you believe that this is worth doing. And this is the home base in terms of lifestyle slash dietary lifestyle that's worth following. You've now transformed this person. And there may or may not have been some use of supplements, depending on what we found with those labs. But supplements are not forever. I don't care what they are. They are not forever. There's very few things that are forever. Air is forever. Water is for good, clean water is forever. And obviously, caloric intake is forever. And you were qualifying that, certainly, both by being clean and going through the macros, etc. So that's what I wanted to explain. Isn't it interesting that when you now put a larger context, in other words, we stamp it out, this is you. This is you and your blood work and explain why some of these things are relevant, right? We don't lose them in this forest of labs. Go, huh, these are the things that you're out of range in. This is why I'm concerned or one could be concerned about them. And then we go into, everybody has a somewhat of a clue about nutrition. So we look into intracellular deficiencies, nutritional deficiencies that they'll understand what B12 is or folate or what carnitine or essential fatty acids, you know, they'll get that. And I can explain that in a larger context as well. And then we go into hormones. Well, they all know a little bit about hormones. And as men get older, by the way, their, their testosterone drops. But, you know, you got to question where some of this research came from. And what I mean is up until about six months ago, maybe, but up until pretty recently, all the labs that we get on the norms for women or men, and you pick your variable, was from a population that were carb eaters. There was from a population that were, was a high carbohydrate, probably a low fat, and we'll assume moderate protein, if not low protein. So that's the population that we were coming up with these labs. Once you change the labs to high fat, low carb, moderate protein, suddenly you find, as we found with Alzheimer's, and a lot of neurological conditions, that change alone will change their condition. So when I look back at, oh, all men, you know, their, their testosterone level declines with age. It also happens within women as well, slightly differently. But so some men go, okay, well, I'll just go out and I'll take testosterone. Well, uh, let's back up. Let's back up. Why do we think testosterone dropped? And men as they aged. Well, it could be a number of things. It could be because they worked out less. When you're younger, besides having other hormones, you run around a lot more. You might be a near athlete. You might have done all those team sports. You might have done all these other things. But as you got a young adult, maybe you started a family or the job, you worked out less. You were certainly far less active. And guess what? Your muscle mass started to decrease. Maybe your muscle mass got to the point that you were lower than quote unquote, whatever the norm was. So if you're lower, you're under muscled. That's called sarcopenia. Penia being small, sarco basically meaning flesh, in this case, muscle. So you're under muscled. That mere fact, which, which clearly happens as men get older, right? They, they work out less. So I'm not talking about biological changes. I'm talking about an activity created less muscle mass. The less muscle mass consequently is correlated with lower testosterone. So if you have low muscle mass, lower testosterone. So maybe that's what we're measuring. We're not just measuring a hormonal decline over time. What we're measuring is 
all these other factors that have led to that hormonal decline over time. And that can be changed. So back to the guy, let's say, who goes, oh, I was told I had low testosterone. First of all, you have to ask, how was that test tested? Was it tested on a 24-hour basis or a 20-hour basis through urine? That would be much better as opposed to just a blood. You went in, you had your blood drawn, and you measured it. Time of day has a lot to do with hormone levels. So it would be a wasted test if you did it just by blood. So, but this is, and there's a market for this, by the way. Hey, we give testosterone because it changes everybody's life. Why don't you give some of the precursors to testosterone or change some of the factors that led to lower testosterone? Maybe you'd get a quote unquote bigger bang for your buck. So if we sent that person into HIT, high intensity training, 15 minutes twice a week, and they started to build muscle mass, what would we see? We would see an increase in testosterone. Oh my gosh, we'd see an increase in certain uh, growth hormones. Uh, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Didn't have to take anything, just had to go do some work. Okay, so we go to the hormone panel, we find that actually we can go way back and take certain precursors if we want to that will help with, and more than likely that person who's low on testosterone would be low on other hormones as well. So in women, it works that yes, they get low in various, you know, you have three different kinds of estrogen. I'll have to get into that in a separate podcast, but they get low on estrogen. Well, you can do bioidentical hormones to take those you know, and that's, that's a way, and you will feel the change. Um, you, you will feel less in menopause if one's a woman. And for a man, you'll feel, if you just did take testosterone, uh, you'll probably feel some improvement. But the problem about taking just testosterone for a man in this case is that if you're still overweight and you didn't do the muscle mass thing and you didn't change your diet and you're just taking testosterone is that you'll have a momentary increase in testosterone, but guess what? It gets converted in your fat cells to estrogen. So it's like in one door and out the other, maybe not hundred percent. So you've a percentage does stay around as testosterone, but a lot gets converted back to um, estrogen. That's why when men get older and not necessarily get fat, they get the man boobs, they call it gynomastia. That's primarily is about estrogen and that gives them the uh, body profile change from that. Isn't that interesting? But yet it's something, my point is, it's something that you can take action and change all that. It takes commitment to an action, but guess what? Our forebearers back a number of generations ago were far more active than we were, and they were far more active for a millennia or two millennia before that. So if that's how we evolved to be active through till the end of our life, we're hoping to the 90s plus, and stay fit, then who are we to think now as modern humans that we can get away with just sitting around all day for whatever reason, sitting around because we have to work, like I'm sitting here now. Well, it's not meant that way. We sort of we still have a requirement to be fulfilled by our our genetic composition that we inherited from all those people before us. So therefore, if we can step back into their lifestyle to a degree, 50 minutes twice a week, clearly that's not hard on anybody. And or in this particular case of the study that I was reading about, you know, this woman, 65, did you know, high-intensity interval training, which is doing one exercise and another exercise over a short period of time, kind of a Tabata method of timed intervals. Um, that's a big deal as an independent variable. And then we change the macros in their diets. That's sensational. So my feelings are if you go back to, let's say, this individual who is not on supplements, who is not on medication, so he didn't have to worry about those particular obstacles, and 
and they were willing, man or woman, and they were willing to do high intensity training and a, a high fat, low carb diet, aka ketogenic diet, then they would create significant changes. They would feel better. They would sleep better. They obviously will look better as they start dropping their weight. So that's the core of it. So I come back always to the same question. If it's that easy, why is it that 50% more or less it doesn't work for? And exploring these other factors, like the other people in the group, they had labs that could be addressed, that needed to be addressed. I want to say it could be that needed to be addressed. Some were on meds, some were on supplements, some were on both. And they were sort of locked in. It took a, a longer change. Some of the um, examples of the medications that I've, you know, you, you really have to think through this. You're not going to be able to find papers out there. Uh, one was gabapentin. Gabapentin is called Neurontin, and it sounds like its name. It makes GABA, and GABA is the same thing. You've now heard that it is made by the increase of the ketogenic diet. Remember, that's the reflective neurotransmitter that I like to talk about. Okay, then. So you now have a person who's taking the thing, the neurotransmitter that a ketogenic diet would produce. Well, what happens? There's kind of a feedback there. And it's parallel to what we actually do know by a study is that when exogenous ketones came out, they're all a rage three years ago, four years ago, is that now we know if you take exogenous ketones, they actually prevent you from losing weight. They prevent you from burning fat. Let's think that through. Well, you're taking the thing that the ketogenic diet will make. I'm talking about ketones. So you're taking specifically BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, a ketone, which is a one of the three, the main ketone that's produced by a ketogenic diet. And so your body more than likely has a feedback mechanism. Hey, we're going to be burning fat, need to make ketones. And you get the feedback of, oh, we already have ketones in the bloodstream. We don't need to make them. So it actually prevents you from burning fat. Isn't that interesting? I'm not saying exogenous ketones are never worthwhile. Obviously, for Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, they can't make their ketones. Take them, take them, take them. And uh, C8 keto MCT oil, obviously something I love. Um, all those are good. But what I'm saying is it may not always be good for, let's say, weight loss. So now we're back to GABA. Well, GABA is another thing we know that is produced when you're on the ketogenic diet. And my guess is, and there's no research on this, this is where you have to do your own detective work, is it because GABA is you're force feeding your body with GABA that your body's not going to be burning fat because you're, it's one of those feedback mechanisms. Say, oh, GABA's already there. We're not going to do that. Let's shut it down. So it's hard for you to burn fat. That's what's proven to be true with one of the uh, people in the group who's very disciplined about his diet. And the other thing is, was about melatonin. You know, we all hear about, oh, take something natural so you don't have to take a medication. My view is all supplements can potentially be as dangerous and or as effective and have as many side effects as a medication. So it's potentially they're a lot less. They're kind of over the counter. So they're supposed to be a lot less potent, you know, not prescription strength, as I say. But however, you just take 10 of those things or do the things you're supposed to take one of it was prescription. So you basically get your prescription strength. So right back to melatonin. Well, melatonin, we know we produce it, we produce it at night and 
It's one of the good things during the day. You want to get the bright lights, see the bright lights. It stimulates your, for one, it shuts down your melatonin during the day by your bright lights. And then you don't do the bright lights at night. And then it increases your secretion of melatonin at night. So you're more tired. Okay, so if somebody wants to take some more melatonin on top of them, for whatever reason, they say, I can't go to sleep. And they didn't look into the natural things they need to do to make their own body in agreement with sleeping at night. Yeah, well, melatonin actually suppresses insulin, which means at night your glucose is going to go up a little bit. The thinking is, or a perspective on why melatonin does that, is that it gives your pancreas a rest. That's when your pancreas has a time off. It sort of shuts down your pancreas, your beta cells, from producing insulin. And you go, not completely. It's just, it's a relative term. Okay. All right. Got that. Kind of buy that. That's interesting. You know, and obviously it's gone on for many millennia, so it must be kind of a normal path. So now melatonin, a hormone that you can buy over the counter, people go, I want, you know, two grams, five grams, 10 grams, 20 grams. It's also used for cancer treatment, but that would be a isolated special reason for that. So they're now adding to the insulin suppression at night. Granted, maybe their pancreas thanks them for it. But in the morning, they're going to find their glucose levels are a lot higher. The Vanessa's prevented themselves from dropping their glucose levels because they've been taking melatonin. And obviously, the dose would matter a big degree. But I would say if you can avoid doing something as strong as taking a hormone, just because it's common doesn't mean that it's nothing. Um, why not get to bed at a regular time? You know, do what they call sleep hygiene cool room, a dark room. You're going to bed at the, the same time every night, ideally before 10, get up at five or six. Why not have chamomile, chamomile tea or maybe valerian? We just, we do chamomile tea at night. It kind of has become a ritual. Uh, it doesn't necessarily put me to sleep, but uh, certainly a lot of tea. So these are my points that point of discovery, supplements are not nothing. They all have their effects. We all think they're safe. We take a lot of them. They create a problem. Now we have to undo the problem, especially if it, if it in any way affects insulin levels, if in any way it affects glucose levels. So now we get those things out of the way, and then we can begin to let the ketogenic diet take its effect. Isn't that interesting? So back to my quest of finding out why does, doesn't, the ketogenic diet work for 50% of the people, I'm getting my answers. It's for these other reasons. And you get these other reasons out of the way or address them individually. The ketogenic diet, I believe, will eventually work for 100% of the people. But there's a lot of work you have to do ahead of time for some of them. Okay, I will end on that note. And the reason I, one of the reasons I went over so this, my approach to weight loss and now treating autoimmune and so on and so forth is to show there's kind of a, a universal truth that can be kind of carved out of both these labs and sort of diet that you can pretty much adapt to any situation. There'll be some tweaking and certainly you have to work with that particular person in front of you. Uh, cancer is, you know, if you're working with cancer patients adjunctively on this aspect, I would still be doing the same thing regardless if they were going in with radiation or chemo and so on and so forth. You'd have to work in great compliance with that particular 
a medical advisor with them. So I hope you got something out of it. I hope this wasn't too complicated, but it was a little bit off the top of my head. And I think that this is the evolving paradigm for how you treat people. And I hope how you can learn to treat yourself. Okay. Till next time. Take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I thought I would take a moment of your time to tell you about something that we've been working on for a long time. And that is our product of C8 Keto MCT oil. How is it different and why would you even care about it? It's the highest purity you can find in the market, which is 99.7% caprylic acid triglyceride. And by the way, that's backed up by a certificate of analysis. It's not just me making up these numbers. But I think the bigger story behind our C8 MCT oil is not only that it is the most efficient way for you to create ketones naturally, and that is all three ketones, your beta-hydroxybutyrate, your acetoacetate, and your acetone. That's important. But the other part is it supports sustainably harvested palm oil. Why would you care? Because all the other C8 oil products out there, not the MCT oils, but the C8 MCT oils, some people call them ketogenic oils out there, they come from palm oil. And palm farming, specifically palm kernel farming in Southeast Asia is decimating the rainforest there. Absolutely. You go on right now to Google or to YouTube and say palm oil Southeast Asia and you will be in tears at the end of 10 minutes when you see the destruction that's happening. This is not part of that. This is the exception. So it's called RSPO, Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil. You have to apply for it. You have to be audited by them. And it's a long, rigorous process. And it took us two years to bring this product to market. I hope you care. And I know you'll care about the efficiency in which it helps you make ketones. By the way, we don't drink this like it's a fluid. We put a little bit in our coffee. We make our mayonnaise out of it. We make uh, various salad dressings out of it when we have a salad. It's basically a, I hate to say crutch, but it's my aid to keeping me in ketosis when I want to be in ketosis. It's fast. It's long lasting, certainly long, longer lasting than exogenous ketones and much more holistic, as I mentioned, with all three ketones. That's about as much as I want to say. I hope you look into it. I hope you uh, take your ketones readings on a regular basis as along with your glucose. If you do, then you really value this product. All the best, and I thought you should know.